Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They're all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two. I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, I just wanted to give you all a short introduction to this five-part series on Islamic spirituality. I was very excited to put together this series because Islamic spirituality or Sufism has been a big interest for me and a system of thinking that I turn to time and time again to solve major obstacles and challenges I face in my personal life. All throughout my years of studying, I was blessed to have the subject matter as a core part of my training, so I've had a wide exposure to it through both books and practitioners. And I think in the current climate, it's more important than ever. Now, the first few episodes are a little more theoretical, so if you feel the information is too much, be sure to check out the episode notes, which I think will help you navigate through the material. I get more practical in episodes four and five. And as always, I'm open to feedback. You can leave comments on the Facebook page and Instagram, both under the name Making Sense of Islam, or you could go to makingsenseofislam.com to submit an email. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Take care. We've talked about a lot of different things um, to try to place the subject matter of Islamic spirituality. So there are two main uh, subject matters that are left. One is I wanted to talk about some of the principles of, of the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, somebody that wants to take seriously their journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what are the type of principles uh, that they should be thinking about, or what are the principles that govern that, that journey, the, the rules that govern that journey. Um, and then the second subject matter are the tools. You know, how, how does somebody actually do this? And all of this has been sort of theoretical. How do we actually do it? What are the tools that we can take, that we can use to arrive at the goal? So the principles of the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and these are just sort of like a high-level summary. The first principle is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the goal. And the reason this is the first principle is that a lot of times when we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we often find ourselves asking for something of, that's of this world nature. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. But we ask for health, we ask for wealth, we ask for position, we ask for, you know, I want to get married. We ask for something. And these are all good. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has asked from us that we ask, ask Him. But if we keep doing that only, then it's sort of, you know, we're, we're spinning in place. That we are using our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for matters of this dunya. But there's a bigger aspect to the relationship between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And if you want to be close to God, then God is the goal. The, the goal is to be close to God. Meaning that you might not go to God this way, it might be that way. Or it might be that way, or it might be that way. We don't know how we are going to arrive at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We might arrive at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we are, hopefully, because that's the easiest, sort of just as we are, and it's a change on the inside, and, and we're there. Or uh, there might be these external causes that Allah places in our way, that certain chain of events that happen that lead us down this path. But the point is, is that we don't worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we want something. We worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because He is who He is. And if we understand that, then you, can, you will understand that everything else pales in comparison to that one reality, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the goal. And the people that we emulate, the people that we look up to in this aspect, they are the people that all they see is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if all you see, because that's what the Prophet said, remember in the hadith, when Gabriel asked him, what is Ihsan? He said, Worship Allah as if you see Him. Well, if you see Allah all the time, then that means you can't see anything else. When the sun is out, you don't see the stars. Not that Allah is the sun, but as this example. When the sun is out now or it's daylight, you don't see anything else at night because the sun has lit everything. So if you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the Prophet told Gabriel or answered, then you're not going to worry about the dunya stuff because you know that there's something bigger that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever He's given you, has given you for the purpose of you know, something greater. So this is rule number one. Principle number one is Allah is the goal. We don't worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we want to be famous. We don't uh, make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we want somebody to say that we're pious. We don't do extra acts of worship so people can see us and say, oh, mashallah, mashallah. That's not why we do them. We do them because it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the meaning behind some of the famous poetry of, for example, Rabi'ah al-Adawiyya, radiallahu anh, the famous uh, female saint of Islam, that she would say that, you know, I don't worship you, Ya Allah, out of fear of the hellfire or out of wanting to go into the paradise, but I worship you because you are you. That's the goal. Even She even saw that Asking for Jannah or, or, or asking for freedom of the hellfire in a way was like a dunya ask. She said, I'm not concerned with that. I'm only concerned about being with you. Now, you can't imitate that. That's something that came from her. So this is not for us to say, okay, I'm going to start making this dua. No, we make the dua that the Prophet taught us until we are elevated. But when we read these things in our history, in our literature, this is what it means. The reason we have it is so we remember this rule that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the goal. The second principle is that the person who gazes does not arrive. Al-Multafit la yasl. What does that mean? If you are, if you are setting out on a journey uh, and you, know, you put the directions you know, on your phone, on a map or GPS or something like that, and you don't follow the directions, you take all of these detours, you're not going to arrive, or you're going to arrive extremely late. But the reason we have this, this technology is that we want to stay on the path, and you know, you have these options like fastest way, most direct way, uh, ways without tolls, you know, things like that. So if, we're, if it's a long trip, we want the fastest way or the most direct way, just the easiest way that will take me to my direction. If you keep taking this exit or that exit or you see this sign and you go down this path and that you'll get lost and you won't know who you are and you'll, you won't arrive. 
If you go, another example that's sort of common, uh, maybe for my generation, we used to go to the malls. Now no one really goes to malls anymore. But if you go to the mall and you know, people window shop, but you, you go to the mall because you needed to get something, or you go to the grocery store because you need to get something. That, that's a better example. You need to get something before iftar and it's Ramadan. And then you, because you're fasting, you are, oh, look at this, oh, look at that. You, know, you might waste all your time in the supermarket before you know, Maghrib might even come. And you were forgotten. And it's happened to us. How many times do we go somewhere we forget the reason why we were there in the first place and we buy all this other stuff? I.e. Costco and Target and things like that. So and these are tactics, right? That they have these tactics. But so when you gaze, you don't arrive. So this principle is the same thing with what we're talking about. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the goal, but you keep looking at the dunya, then you're not going to arrive at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because part of arriving... At, a, at a, a higher awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's presence in your life is, is shutting off a little bit your gazing to the dunya, your concern with the dunya. It doesn't mean that you become a recluse and you know, sort of live in like the forest somewhere. That's not, what it, that's not our way. But it's something that's on the inside. The iltifat, the gazing is on the inside. Oftentimes, the gazing can be at one's own progress. So you say, okay, you know, I want to be better, and this Ramadan I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and you, you know, I'm going to, this month I'm going to, and at the end of the month you sort of look at, your, at what you've accomplished, and you're sort of pleased with, with what yourself. That's a form of gazing, because that's not the goal. The goal is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because our worship and our practice of Islam is not something that's quantifiable. It's not about quantity. It's all about quality. You can pray one rakah. Not even two, one rakah out of, you know, utmost uh, uh, presence and love and, and obedience. And that can outweigh thousands and thousands of rakahs that you've prayed throughout your whole life. And we don't know which rakah, which act, which dollar, uh, which uh, day of fast. We don't know which of these acts will save us on Yom Al-Qiyamah. We don't know the impact of those acts. So it's not about quantity, but it's about the quality. So when you start to look at your own progress, then that's a form of gazing. You've missed the point altogether. The point is to be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Kun ma'allah wa tubali, the Prophet ﷺ, he advised one of the companions, be with Allah and don't be concerned. Not just don't be concerned with the outside, but don't be concerned with what's on the inside. Just stick with the plan to be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is about gazing. A third principle is that time becomes the most important commodity that we have. And throughout our um, religious and spiritual history, the ulama have been very concerned with dissecting acts of worship to be feasible, to be done in certain times. So the greatest example is the Qur'an, because we're about to enter into the month of the Qur'an. The Qur'an... It was not originally categorized in, in different cha- in different ajza, in different juz. This is a later addition that the Muslims added to the Quran. So each uh, each juz is then divided into two halves, two hizbs, and then each hizb has is is quartered. All of those uh, demarcations in the Mus'haf, those are new. Those are new additions. And the reason the Muslims did that was to facilitate the recitation of the Qur'an throughout the week, throughout the month, even throughout the day. 
So you could follow the, the quarter and you could read a quarter before this prayer and a quarter after this prayer and you'll find yourself easily throughout the day that you've read a juz, for example. Uh, or you could just read a juz a day and then you finish the whole Qur'an in a month, which is kind of what we do in the Taraweeh prayers and things like that. So this is one example. Why did the Muslims do this? Because they, they realized that the only thing that we really have that we can control is our time. And we sleep for who knows how many hours, you know, people have different sleeping patterns. But if you add up all those hours, that's like a huge part of your life that's gone to sleeping. And then if you add in all of the hours of work, you know, you know an even bigger time is spent working. And then in our culture, we talk about the time driving and commuting to work. Well, if you stay in this job for 10 years and you add up all the time that you're commuting, so, you know, you start to realize that your, your life is gone if you just add up all that stuff. So from the beginning, before modernity, the Muslims were very concerned with, okay, how can we maximize the use of our time? So we'll have these things called awrad, uh, litanies, ahzab, uh, different things that we, we recite at different times of the day. So the spiritual path is... is uh, punctuated by acts of devotion that are done at different times. And the, the part of that story is also the use of intention. So time infused with intention can convert that slot of time from something random into an act of worship. So if you had an intention in your heart before you slept, for example, that I'm going to rest because this is the sunnah. Or I'm going to rest so that I can wake up for fajr. That means all the hours that you've, you're going to sleep are, act, are, are hours of worship. So you're not going to do the, the former calculation. You're not going to be like, oh, I'm going to spend half my life sleeping, half my life in the car, and it's such a waste. Nothing is a waste. Because, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عَبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ Allah says, if my servant asks you of me, indeed I am near. So it's easy to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If before you ate, you had an intention. Even if it was like, you know, something loose, but I'm, I'm eating so I can be healthy, so I can be strong, or you know, whatever. Some kind of intention with purpose, then that meal becomes an act of worship. That sleep becomes an act of worship. And I always tell the young people that if you sleep in Ramadan, it's like, it's like worship. So don't, don't feel bad that you nap in Ramadan or you sleep in. And I know that as parents, we don't like that. I'm not speaking as a parent now. I'm speaking as, you know, I'm just trying to teach. Um, but why are you, you racking up points while you're sleeping? Well, you're fasting. Why are you sleeping? Because you're tired, because you're not eating. So it's not just that you have intention when you pray or you have intention when you fast or you have intention when you read the Qur'an, but you also have intention when you are doing the things that you have to do, like work and sleep and this and that, so that the mundane become acts of worship. So the person that's concerned with their spiritual progress with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they realize that the most important commodity is time. And this is why Imam Shafi'i radiallahu anhu, he said that when I spent time with the Sufis, and one of the things I learned from them is that time is like the sword. Time is like a sword. If you don't cut time, it's going to cut you. Meaning that everything, every moment in, in, in your day is a moment that you can either advance or do nothing with or, you know, the opposite of advancing, you know, and fall behind. So the person that's on the pursuit of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, concerned with their spiritual progress, 
they're going to see their time as, okay, I'm going to use every moment of my time to my advantage. I commute a lot, so I'm going to listen to this, I'm going to listen to that, I'm going to listen to audiobooks, I'm going to listen to this lecture, I'm, going to, I'm just not going to just sit in the car and do nothing, or on the train and do nothing. And then you can convert that commute to something that's inspiring. That you can give more meaning to your work. That you can give more meaning to sort of your, your home life. I'm going to hang out with my kids because this is the sunnah, is to be with your children. You owe them, this is the right that they have over you. I'm going to you know, hang, hang out with my spouse. And the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, playing with your spouse is a form of worship. Worship, not, not like a good thing. It's a form of worship, the Prophet ﷺ said. So time, for, um, in, in the principle here is that time has another meaning. Yes, it's, an important, it's the most important commodity, but that means everything that we do, it can be something that can be converted into something that's going to help us and aid us. And with that intention, we're not talking about just racking up points. No, it actually helps you. So you get, you get something, you get spiritual increase from those acts. Your sleep becomes different. The time with your children becomes different. The time with your spouse becomes different. The time at your work becomes different. You start to see things differently because you're doing this with intention. So time is very important. The fourth principle is it's not about who arrives first, but who is sincere. So even though we use the language of journey and travel and path, uh, and these are the, the, the words that we use from our own literature, it's not a race. So we are concerned with our own personal spiritual advancement. And of course we're concerned with each other, but I mean it's, it's not a race to see who's going to arrive at the next station first. It's about being sincere. And wanting to arrive itself is a form of gazing, as we mentioned a while ago, because you're so focused on the process, you forget the goal. So it's not about arriving first. It's about being sincere with yourself and with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's all about sincerity. So the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a path of sincerity, is to be sincere with yourself, honest with yourself and with your Creator. And when you see somebody that looks like they've advanced, you're, you know, you're happy for them or you're happy for her. It's not a race. And sometimes your delay in, in, in advancing is a form of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevating you. Because you, sometimes it's like resistance, like when you work out, or you're trying to build muscle or, or, or lift more weights or something like that. You need to have that resistance and that pain for the muscle to grow. So sometimes our spiritual muscles need that, that type of resistance. So sometimes the struggle with ourselves, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives this to us because we need that growth. And that's why it's not about arriving. It's just about being sincere. Because the struggle itself is the path. It's our life. I mean, it's never going to end. It's not like we're going to arrive and we're just going to kick back. Okay, I don't have to pray anymore. I don't have to fast anymore. I've done it. It's not like that. Taklif or moral obligation will always last until the day we die. So, you know, from that point of view, arriving is, is, is a different, you know, it's about advancing, not arriving. Um, so the principle is not about the, the race. It's about the sincerity of, of us with ourselves. Principle number five. One of the things that happens for, the, for people that take this seriously 
is that with time, acts of worship become easy. And this is uh, a principle but also a sign of, of progress. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when He addresses the prayer, He says, you know, the, the, the canonical, mechanical prayer, He says, Indeed it is difficult except for those that are sincere. He see, Allah addresses the hypocrites and He says, with And when the hypocrites, when you tell them, let's come and pray, they're like, oh, so we just prayed before. You know, is it, can we just give me five more? They're very lazy. So it's like very difficult. It's very difficult to fast. It's very difficult to pray. It's very difficult to come to the class. It's very difficult to attend Jummah. But when it becomes easy to pray, I pray all the time, and then you start looking, I want to now pray sunnah, I want to pray the extra prayers, I want to pray at night or something like that. That's a sign of spiritual progress. Is that the same act of worship, it becomes easier for you. And it becomes light, and it becomes happy, and you sort of look forward to it, and you get something out of it. Whereas, maybe a year ago, you know, Astaghfirullah, you'll, you'll miss prayers during the day because you're working or you're busy or you're this or you can't wake up for Fajr or whatever. But then now you're always waking up for Fajr whether you have an alarm or you don't. You pray every single prayer on time. You know, you come every Friday to the Jummah or something like that. So acts of worship become easy. And in that ease, our attitude is to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but not to be like proud of ourselves. Because who made it easy? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not because of our effort. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. It's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted from us our, our journeying. Number six. There are three uh, things that demarcate the, the, uh, the progress of the person that you know seeks this path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first is something that we call takhliya, or to remove bad traits. And here we're not talking about like how we dress and you know, we're talking about uh, moral traits. And you can look to a book of like Imam al-Ghazali, you know, like Ahya al-Lum al-Din and, and, and the derivatives of, of Imam al-Ghazali's Ahya that talk about the diseases of the soul, the diseases of the heart. We have a genre of literature. Uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf has translated a, a Mauritanian poem that's also based on the Ahya called Purification of the Heart, in which the, the author, you know, talks about the, these diseases. It's an easy book to, to find. It's also an easy book to read. So remove the bad traits like arrogance, stinginess, hatred, backbiting, you know, all of the stuff that we don't like to talk about, but unfortunately so much consumes our way of life. We want to remove them. So to remove them, we've got to know what they are first. We've got to know what, what, what is backbiting, what is you know, this, what is that, what is hatred and... You know, what is love of this world? What is love of position? All of these things. And then we remove them. We work on them. We remove them. Because how are we going to advance if we're full of hatred and we're, we're you know, bad-mouthing each other and we're backbiting and, and lying and all? We can't. It's not, you know, it doesn't work. So that's one, is to remove the bad traits. And then when we remove them, we want to put on the good traits, what we call tahliya, to add the positive, to be generous. 
So the opposite of being stingy, obviously, is to be generous. So they kind of go together. If you're going to remove one, you're also going to you know, sup, sup, supplement it with, with something else. So the easier, one of the easier ones to think about is stinginess and generosity. So somebody is stingy. Maybe they're stingy with themselves. Maybe they're stingy with their family, like their children or their spouse. Maybe they're stingy, you know, they don't give to the mosque or whatever. So how do you fight that? One of the ways is to, you know, okay, I'm going to plan a nice outing for my family. I'm going to buy my children something for that eat or, you know, within reason, within reason. Um, and you do that until it becomes a habit. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, If you want to seek knowledge, act like somebody who has knowledge until you become knowledgeable. If you want to be, uh, have good character, act like someone that has good character until it's true. If you want to be a patient, act like a patient person and eventually that act will become real. Which is essentially fake it until you make it. I mean that's what the Prophet ﷺ is essentially saying. Act like that character trait and then eventually that act will become you. You will really become your trait. So, so don't wait for like, you know, some like beautiful moment where all of a sudden all of these traits are going to come. No, you got to go one after the other. And, 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 look, and each one of us has a different combination of what we need to work on. And then when we do these two, when we remove the bad traits and when we add the good traits, we have something that is called an illumination, a tajalli in which, which the light of faith starts to shine from within. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an, the light of faith, nur al-iman. Uh, and then these traits start to radiate out. You know there are people when you're with them, they remind you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They remind you of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa You know, they, they remind you of those good things. That's that radiating out. And there are some people, man, when you're with them, you're just so depressed. And, and and they might be good people, like on paper, you know, but there's just something negative. You're with them and everything is negative, negative, negative. And you, you, you come away feeling, man, I feel like crap. I don't, wanna, why would I, don't be with those people. Be with the people that make you happy and are light and th things are easy. And, because that's the radiating out of the traits. So that's the sixth principle. And then the seventh uh, and final principle that I wanted to share, and again, these are just high-level high sort of summaries. Part of the path, part of the, the journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is you will experience and you will ha have insights into things that you didn't have before. You might have certain types of dreams, you might have certain types of insights when you read the Qur'an, you might have a thought that sort of occurs to you, uh, something you know, strange might have happened in your life and, and it's sort of unexplicable. And these things, maybe this is where you need like a you know, teacher, sheikh, to help you decipher what these things are, but that's part of it because we're talking about journeying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in that we are dealing with the seen and then the unseen and when you look at the world from that perspective there's so much more of the unseen there's more of the unseen than there is of the seen essentially so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings you closer to him you will feel different you will think different 
you know, you might uh, just enter the, hear the mu'adhin give the adhan, and you just start, you know, crying. You just start bawling uncontrollably or something like that. Uh, or you might have some tragedy, unfortunately, in your life, but it doesn't phase you. So these type of external issues that from the outside perspective we would maybe think is strange or why is a person, the person's voice is not even that good, why are they crying from the adhan? No, they have an important meaning in the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we don't necessarily want to focus on those things because again, rule number one is Allah is the goal. The goal is not those things, but they happen. And when they happen, people should seek the right way of dealing with them to understand what, what is it that's happening and why is it happening to make sure that they, they do not slip, that it's not, uh, it's, a, it's not a test that they fail, but rather it's something that they, they understand uh, uh, the benefit of it and they seek the benefit of it. This, and this doesn't always happen, but it does happen, it is common that it happens. Uh, that people will experience things and have insights and things and uh, uh, you know as they increase their acts of worship as they increase their focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and these type of things <laughs>